The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the city of Los Angeles, on the occasion of Her Majesty's royal visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> How about that? It's time for another edition of the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Part of the Rota Fanatic Podcast Network. It's episode 54, the Max Freed edition. Today, the Palazzo Podcast has on one of the finest analysts in the game. Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ joins us to talk about fantasy baseball. Join your hosts, Christopher Deary and Michael Govier. We'll talk about some hot stove moves and the fantasy fallout, and we'll get Ryan Bloomfield's detailed analysis of how he breaks down fantasy baseball. Take it away, boys! Welcome in to the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are live today, live streaming the show. We thought we would consider trying that because we used to do it last summer when we were doing those, um, what were those things called, Deary? The uh, quick hitters or oh, the, the, the quickies? Uh, baseball the morning quickie? quickie? Baseball morning quickie that we would yeah. do like 15 minutes in the morning. Yeah, we tried that a few times, and uh, then it just disappeared. But, hey, we're back. We're here. But if you're listening to the podcast, welcome in. It's a pleasure to have you aboard. I'm Michael Govier, at MJ Govier on Twitter. Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's on Twitter. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. Deary is back for this show, and he's excited because we have a guest again. We are just giving you guys top-notch guests nonstop. Everybody has a different opinion and different viewpoints in fantasy baseball. But... The point is to get as much information and knowledge to you so you can make your own informed opinion. And, you know, that's what we really believe in here. We believe in as much knowledge, which to some might be like, ah, it's a little bit overwhelming, but who cares? You know, take what you want and leave the rest. So it is my very distinct pleasure to have on the one, the only, Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, welcome to the show. My God, that's an intro. I, I love that. How's it going, guys? 
Good, man. It's great to have you aboard. You're a big deal in fantasy baseball. People respect you, and the, you're well-known for your bloom boards, and you work at Baseball HQ. So you have a lot of... Uh, you have a lot of reputational status. Is that a thing? You know, people respect what you have to say because you also know what you're talking about and it's based in hardcore data. I think the status is also more just the hair too. So like you guys may be <laughs> regretting going live streaming and starting with me, <laughs> the hair for audio only, but but, but we'll, we'll see if it drives away your, your, your base. I was oh, going to say something and be like, is Cosmo Kramer on this episode today? Because I did not know he had the baseball knowledge that Ryan Bloomfield has. It's a, it's a pure COVID cut. It, it was it was early March when when I last had it chopped. And really, here we are 10 months later. Holy cow. That is an impressive fro. I love it. I wasn't even expecting it. I haven't seen a picture of you in a minute, so I didn't even know. I I did stalk your Twitter and tried to investigate on what you were all about, but I missed the hair. I can't believe it. I feel like an can't, idiot. Can't miss it. Can't but miss it. Now I'm absorbing. I'm taking it in. We love it. Uh, we're excited to have you aboard today, man. We're going to talk about some ADP conundrums because they just continue to hit us. It's draft season. I don't care what anybody says. If, oh, I'm going to wait till March. No. The hardcore pros, what I'm learning, people who know what they're doing, they're drafting now. And they already started drafting. Geez, maybe even back in like November. I mean, it's hardcore people who play high stakes and play in a ton of leagues that know what they're doing. So I respect those types of people. And we're going to give you as much information and knowledge as we can related to ADP scenarios. We'll also talk about some of the hot stove action that's going on and the fantasy fallout from that. We'll take a look at Enrico's Inquisition and we'll go beyond baseball and see what Ryan's really about. Beyond the hair, the Ryan Bloomfield story. We'll see what's happening there. And of course, we'll do your tweets and emails and a little bit of shine to ride the pine which we can take a look at at the end of the season to see how Ryan's predictions come true. We usually give a, a set of projections. We pick at random. I think last show we picked Ariel Cohen's. We used ATC. and another show, I've used Steve Paolo. So it just depends on the projection system. But in the end, Ryan, you will have to decide if a certain number is going to go over or under. ATC is pretty, pretty good. So we'll, we'll see. Competition's tough. It is Give tough. It a shot. It's good. It to, it's good. It's good to do it, and then and then also, especially in this industry, be accountable for your preseason picks after the season because we love to you know say everything we got right, but you learn more from the stuff that yep. uh, feel that like a total not. idiot in the end. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You have these moments, and you think you know everything, and. Then sometimes you get slapped in the face with reality. It says, hey, you didn't know shit, Jack. And that happens. So I understand what you're saying, especially as a rookie last year. I learned a lot of harsh lessons, and I was in too many leagues, and I made predictions that were uh, not always true. But I was right about Dylan Bundy, so I always will. As Deary always backs me up on the Bundy support for last year. But, Ryan, you know, for those that don't know you, and I don't know if people that listen to our show know you or not, so tell them uh, what you're doing and where they can find you and share your knowledge with them. For sure. I'll do the first part at least, and we'll, we'll take care of the second part throughout the episode. Uh, yeah, I've been, I, so I'm on Twitter at RyanBHQ. Uh, feel free to give me a follow there, try and interact with as many folks as possible, and really been putting out these, uh, these bloom boards, which I guess we'll talk about in a little bit. But if you just search hashtag bloom boards, um, just some kind of cool filters and lists of, of players and things like that, that I like to throw out there and generate some discussion and fantasy players and that sort of thing. So that's where you can find me on Twitter. I try and put one of those out, try and put them out once a weekday, but 
Um, sometimes life gets in the way. Um, I can be found at Baseball HQ. I've been with HQ for almost 10 years now. Wow. Um, I was thinking about that earlier. Yes, I got the the email from Ron Chandler, who is who's the founder of Baseball HQ and one of the you know fantasy baseball pioneers. Um, got got my you know offer letter, acceptance letter, whatever from him uh, back in 2011, and I've just kept working my way up kind of the ranks through then. So um, I've, I've been around for been around for a little while. I'm now the, uh, I do a weekly column there, a speculator column, looking at kind of like 20% plays, kind of the bold prediction type of deal. Um, write that weekly social media director for the site. So I run all the social accounts and you can find me pre-COVID at, at First Pitch Arizona and conferences and things like that. Those are the, those are the fun stuff because you get to meet everybody in the industry and, and, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So um yeah, long-winded answer, but uh, but find me at Ryan BHQ and my work at BaseballHQ.com. Yeah, we've I've heard a lot about first pitch and the experiences people have there because they get to connect one-on-one and yeah. really get to know somebody a lot more because you're in person and you're watching games and you're getting like Arizona Fall League is another thing too where people meet up and hang out and I I would love to be a part of those experiences and hopefully. Probably 2022, that'll be the time when I'll finally hopefully get a chance to go out there and and even like main events uh, for NFBC and big money contests. Maybe I'll be playing in those in 2022. So there's so many cool and like open people are generally open from what I've heard about PitchCon and uh, and first pitch and everything that anybody creates in fantasy baseball community generally is a positive experience for newcomers and welcomes people with basically open arms. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, I know everyone loves to like bag on Twitter and say it's a waste of time. It's a cesspool, all that stuff. And you know, parts of it can be, but like, how dare this community you? How is, dare you? is fantastic. <laughs> like I, I love going on there and just everyone's so nice. Um, and then you do meet a lot of these folks just over the years in person, either like you said at first pitch or NFBC type things. And um, just, yeah, really good people, people willing to, to help new folks in the industry share knowledge like it's 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 a pretty and and you think about it too like we're all kind of i mean you think about it like we're all kind of competitors but yeah um we still just get together hang out have fun talk baseball and it's just an awesome community so it's a it's a huge draw for uh for anyone new to the community it's great we're just huge baseball nerds in the end Exactly. That's that's essentially all we are. And and you can you can tell that at the first pitch conference, you see a bunch of like really, you know, <laughs> really myself included, big baseball nerds going out there and just just in, in taking in conferences and then going out to the games. And it's yeah, it's awesome. I also feel COVID has upped the level of the amount of pods that are out there and the amount of people that are yeah. just flying up and down uh, on social media, especially Twitter. But uh, yeah, to Ryan's point, I love the community. It's amazing the people that reach out to you and get you on their pod. I mean, we're, we're jam-packed with, uh, what, six pods this week, Mike? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, nice. I'm trying to get to know as many people as I can. And there's so many people out there like yourself, Ryan, and I want to ask them questions. And if they're willing to come on, then I'm going to do it. I don't care. I mean, I put in my two weeks notice at my job, so I'll be done Monday so I can just dedicate all my time to this. Congratulations. 
I hey, think. You know, <laughs> it was more than just like wanting to do what? this. It was also COVID fears and, you know, I would be exposed. It wasn't a job. I was working at home. So gotcha. that was part of it as well. But I also said, hey, screw it, man. Let's go for it. Let's go for the gold here. Let's, there's so many people I can talk to and I want to get them all in before season starts. And if that's a bad thing or if it's like overbooking, then uh, I guess I'm in trouble. But hey, if people are willing to do it, I'm going to do it too. Full support from your co-host here. Yay! All right. Well, Ryan, why don't we get into... Oh, I got to do this real quick. Shout outs. So I want to get some shout outs to some people that have been very friendly to the podcast. Uh, We want to thank you for, you know, giving us your time and energy. And we try to create a a little community within the show here. So thanks to Russell Withers at Armchair Roto. Uh, He recommended rating all your favorite pods and... Last night, I, I rated like eight pods. I, I sat down and went on Apple Podcasts, wrote out reviews, and rated five-star reviews for many different podcasts, including SP Streamer and uh, Open Bar Pod. Uh, there was others, too. So thanks, Russell, for thinking of that idea. And also, again, thanks to Yancey Eaton for getting me in on the NFBC 50, which I never get in. People put the invites out, and I never get in them because they get filled up so fast. Somebody puts an invite on Twitter, poof, it's gone. So I'm glad that we uh, were able to connect on that. Thank you, Yancey. Yancey's everyone's best friend in the fantasy community. That guy is that guy is awesome. Yeah, I'm not like special like he likes me because he loves everyone and he really does make everyone feel included. And I can't wait. That'd be another guy I'd love to meet in person. Like he seems so full of life and we share music together. Pretty cool. Yancey, you the man. We love you. Woohoo! Not surprising. All right, so that's it. That's for shout outs. Why don't we get into some leading off? So in leading off, we usually talk about hot stove news transactions, and we try to look at them from a fantasy perspective. JT Real Muto re-signed officially with the Phillies. It's a long-term deal. He's going to be there until he's old and gray. And this is... And yeah, well, he'll be rich too. Yeah, he'll be like a, a Batman in The Dark Knight Rises. You know, he's old and decrepit, but he's very rich. So that's a good thing, but he can't move or anything. It's very depressing until he gets that magical knee brace that he puts in his knee and suddenly he can like jump from buildings, which I thought was a little weird. But this is not about The Dark Knight Rises. This is about JT Real Muto. Is there anything, Ryan, that we can add to the JT Real Muto signing from a fantasy perspective? I mean, not really. And, and honestly, that's the best possible thing for Real Muta, right? Like one of the things I always kind of fear with these pending free agents is they're going to go somewhere new and kind of have that adjustment year. Like there's there's been some research out there that shows a, a big name free agent goes to someone or a new team, even a new league faces new pitching, new park, like new life, uh, that sort of thing. And, and, and you can... Um, you know, there's there's often a a kind of a downslide. So Ramuto staying where he's where he's familiar, where he plays pretty much every day, and that's the draw with him. Um, and Philadelphia is about as you know is pretty much the gold standard outcome of what you wanted. So um, you know you're paying up for Real Muto 3580p as a catcher, uh, but that's well worth it if you think he's going to keep on doing what he's been doing the last few years, um, given the scarcity at at catcher, especially in two catcher leagues. Are you somebody that will jump on Real Mutu in like the third or fourth round of a 12-teamer or 15-teamer even? Are you, do you want to have someone in that catcher position that you can count on? Or do you believe that there's always potential deeper in a draft like 
someone with a Danny Jansen or uh, even an Omar Narvaez who had a crappy 2020, but he still, I still believe in him in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I so in TGFBI last year, I took Real Muto in the fourth and was just thrilled with it. I mean, it obviously worked out given the 266, 11 homers and four steals from a catcher. Um, so I am willing to take the the early price on on Real Muto, but he is like a unicorn, man, because I, I generally do not try and target catchers, even in like the mid rounds. Um it's just such a position where you just get dinged up so often. You have regular off days. Um, again, Ryoto is just that that unicorn who like pretty much you know racks up over 500 at bats almost every year and puts up like 20 bucks in raw five by five value. And that's before you even adjust for, for catchers. So um, real Muto, yes, but other expensive catchers, like I know like a Sal Perez, I think is number two in the ADP. He's up there that I think that's a little bit too much for me with catchers. I try and especially like in a weekly league, I'll, um, I'll probably just take one starter and then stream the second guy, uh, depending on matchups and park and, and and whatnot for that week. So generally, no, I'm not, you know, one to kind of go in on even like a mid tier catcher. Uh, Real Muto is a little bit of a uh, of an exception, though. Okay, wow. Real Muto is somebody that I think this could be controversial, but I I think you could replicate some of his stats. If he steals bases still, if he's going to give you that speed, then you won't be able to replace that necessarily, unless you're going for Dalton Varsho, but then there's the fear of him starting in the minor leagues. This is the weird part of the January time frame because there's rumors. Hey, he might start in the minors. He might try to keep him down, you know, keep him as part of the team contract a little bit longer. But then if Varsho does come up in like May and he steals you 20 bases in a full season, then that's a great benefit, and you don't have to take them where you're taking real Muto. But, again, that's the risk, and I yep. don't know if I want to take that risk. Yep. I mean, yeah, Varsho hit 188 last year in 100 at-bats. I mean, you're paying your, <laughs> your – you know, that's – I mean, the downside is he is a minor league player this year, right? He just doesn't have the minor league track record, and some of the contact and strikeout skills, like, you know, weren't that great last year. But, like you just said, the flip side, I mean, getting those bags from someone – eight rounds later than real Muto. Um, I can see the draw, but uh, I'm not one to, to, to take Varsha where he's going like a 160 ADP. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's too much risk. Uh, more, more just position wise and track record wise. How do you see the lack of a minor league season last year affecting those types of players? Do you see that as a big concern? Because I talked to Michael Richards on our last show and he actually thinks that the team sites were Prospects got to play against each other from single A versus triple A type prospects might be an advantage for more inexperienced prospects. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I, yeah, because it's not like they didn't play. I mean, they they spent the year at the alternate camp. We just don't have like stats and data. So we're basically just going off of like grainy YouTube videos or <laughs> like beat writer reports, which you don't kind of have a take have to take with a grain of salt, given the source is the team itself. Like, of course they're going to kind of say, Oh, this prospect looks great. But um, that is interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, it's, it's just a challenge in terms of like lack of information. Like we really don't know how guys did last year, but, but it's not, I don't think it's wise to just kind of downgrade every prospect because they didn't play in games. Like they definitely got, you know, action and development time last year, if they spent it at the alternate site, I'm more worried about the guys who like, and this is really not for redraft because 
really anyone close for to fantasy relevance for 2021 spend time at an alternate site i'm more worried about like the the low miners guys or the guys who did not spend time at the alternate site last year like what did they do um it's impossible to tell and you know they didn't get that development time in there so i'm a little bit more worried about those guys but there's not too many you know for redraft wise that that fall into that boat well that's what's so interesting about what michael said though because he said it was an advantage for the type of players that you'd be concerned about and he knows prospects pretty well i mean i'm not saying he's the master of all that we survey but uh, i was impressed with his knowledge on prospects he does his homework so we'll be in the end the proof will be in the pudding when the season goes live and that's when we'll find out uh well you're listening to the plazo podcast two l's two z's on twitter plazo podcast plazo podcast at protonmail.com and we're live streaming the show as well if you want to ask ryan a question or any of us a question you can comment it right here on the screen and we will read it live in real time Truth be told. All right. Uh, some other transactions, hot stove news that I wanted to cover. Marcus Simeon to Toronto. Uh, do we see Marcus Simeon moving to third base or second base? Or is Bichette going to be thrown out of the shortstop situation here? Yeah, I don't think they want to mess with Bichette. I mean, they've got a long-term stake in Bichette, whereas Simeon's like a one-year deal. So I think right. Simeon going over to like second, maybe third is probably what's going to happen. Toronto, man. Like we talk about Twitter chatter and that sort of thing. Like everybody has their own opinion on uh, not only who's going to start, there's so many bodies in that lineup, but like what the batting order is going to be. And that was before they signed Semi. And so now you throw Semi in on top of there. Um, you got to wonder what like a Kevin Biggio is going to do. And then obviously the big wild card is, is, is Vlad going to actually stick at third or is this news that he's lost weight? Is it just noise and that didn't actually help him at third base uh, and, and and he'll be over at first? That's ultimately what I think will happen um, with Semyon being like second, third, which for Semyon could be you know pretty good because he goes to a good lineup and he's going to pick up that in-season multi-eligibility. He qualifies at shortstop, obviously, because that's where he played last year. And mm-hmm. then depending on your league, like it may not take very many games for Semyon to, to pop up at second or third, d- d- depending on um, depending on where Toronto puts him. So I think it's a great move for Semyon, who had a pretty bad year in 2020 off of a great 2019. He's probably somewhere in between those two years. But uh, but but yeah, great, linings, great landing spot and a great lineup. Don't know where he'll play yet, but uh in terms of like canada buffalo florida but but i i like the move for semi and it's 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 gonna help with the counting stats and the multi-position eligibility and those things are both uh super important when building your lineup especially at his price you gotta really love what the blue jays have been able to do with their pickups yeah, during the offseason. they are spending money and most of what i'm seeing right now is that simeon's probably gonna get most of the action at second Biggio will be a little bit at third and maybe kind of, uh, you know, platoon him in the outfield. Uh, looks like Randall Gritchick might be the odd guy out. It seems like he'll still probably get some at bats. But looking at that lineup now, I mean, does Simi at bat second? Does he bat more towards the back end of the lineup, sixth or seventh? And maybe Caven Biggio moves up. Does Lourdes Gurriel move down? It's a wacky lineup, but there's power everywhere. I mean, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that there could be eight guys in this order that hits 20 home runs. You just added another guy in Marcus Simeon that'll probably hit 20, 21 home runs as well. So this is a really formidable lineup. Uh, I'm not the biggest Simeon fan just because of his inconsistency, but I mean, if he's going to bat second in this lineup, possibly like that's going to give you some really good value. Obviously batting average isn't really going to be there, but 
20 home runs. He could be looking at 85 to 90 runs if he bats near the top of that mm-hmm. lineup. But, God, mm-hmm. you got to love what the Blue Jays are doing. What about the knee injury, though, and the knee concern? Is that a one-year fluke for Bichette? I mean, what if that thing lingers? That's my concern about shortstop, and that would be the only thing I would keep an eye on to say, hey, well, maybe he's not built for shortstop, and they'd like to take him at a less stressful position. And I know it's a one-year deal, like you said, with Simeon. That makes total sense, but that's my only thought, and I don't have any proof to support that right now, but I am thinking about that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super concerned. Like they brought him back in September. If if there was any like lingering if they were if the if Toronto staff training staff was worried about any lingering issues, I don't think they would have rushed him back last year. Uh, I think there's just too much at stake. So I I'll, I'll trust and maybe this is bad advice, but I'll trust the training staff at their word. Um and and I I think Bichette'll be fine. Okay. Well, it gives you really it gives you really, really good flexibility. The fact that you have three or four guys that could play all over the infield, which really, really helps. And then you got you got a, a glutton of guys in the outfield as well. So mm-hmm. we just got a, a, a live response there. You know, Gritchick's still there. I mean, he could be the seventh guy in the lineup, but you have lots of options out there. So if, you know, Bichette has any type of knee injury or any type of concerns, they can sit him down for a few days, DH him, you know, have, have Simeon move anywhere in the infield. It's a great, great luxury to have. Yeah, another guy, as I saw the comment here, Gritchick, odd man out, probably. Um, another guy, Rowdy Telez, a lot of people like, kind of a late, kind of sleeper type guy who had a pretty good hit tool as a prospect. I, I like him. Um, he's probably somebody, too, especially if Vlad can't stick at third, who's probably starting the season in a reserve role. But who knows? Like, there are so many, and especially the so many unknowns with the season, just, I mean, COVID-wise, but just injuries happen, too. Like, over time, these things will sort themselves out. Um couple guys will get hurt and draft the skills over the roles and long term you'll be fine that's true i know a lot of guys in the draft champions battle of the podcast season two league talking about telez and hyping them up and these guys are smart dudes mlb moving averages and maddie davis and matt williams and so on and so forth and now telez is in a reserve role most likely for the moment but injuries happen and don't forget when it comes to simeon Last year was a short season, so. Yep, I just cued it. This is our new siren. Every time somebody says last year was a short season or a short sample, we're going to play this siren because I'm just sick of fucking hearing it. I don't want to. Instead of uh, saying the caveat, just say, uh, can you cue the siren, please? And I'll just press the button. Anyways. uh, How many times it gets played today? Yeah, oh boy, six. every show. It will, yeah, minimum six. Dingerspot also says, uh, by the way, thanks, Dingerspot, for joining in on the live stream here. We appreciate the comments. Third and AL MVP in 19, let's go. He's referring to Marcus Simeon. And if 2020 was a fluky bozo season, which it was, and he can go back to 2019, I'd love that. He's also on a good team. He didn't leave a bad team to go to a good team. So I also don't buy the fact that, hey, he's going to Toronto and this is going to be a game changer. I like Oakland's offense still. They didn't perform, but there's a lot of studs that I would draft in that lineup. So let's not play games, folks. All right, let's move away from that story. Uh, Real quick, Andrelton Simmons signs with Minnesota. I think the only takeaway here for me is what SB Streamer said uh, in a chat that I was in with him yesterday, that the -the up-the-middle defense for Minnesota, this improves their pitching, and this might give a bump up to the Minnesota pitchers because you have Simmons and Buxton up the middle, and that's some good defense. Simeone, man, he's smart. He stole my thunder because that's what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> I, 
it, it's a All huge right. boon for the for the Minnesota pit. Like fantasy wise, that's the biggest impact, I think. I mean, for like for Angleton Simmons himself, like he'll play, but he'll in decent lineup, but I'm assuming he'll probably hit eight or ninth. Um, so you know, and par factors aren't that extreme. And given like Simmons only hits 10-15 homers a year, like even if he was in the best park. Uh, that he could be it's only going to be a couple more bombs so like uh, Simmons himself kind of is who he is Uh, but yeah the bigger takeaway is the Minnesota pitching staff the Jose Barrios um, the Michael Pineda Maeda Dobnak loves his ground balls yeah any kind of and Barrios I know has that curveball slider that he throws it gets like a 70 percent ground ball rate if Andrelton Simmons turns that into a double play three or four times a year, like that's actually going to have an impact on Jose Barrios and then he's, his ratios. So um, that's the takeaway I have is, is a nice little bump for, um, for Minnesota starting pitching because of the defensive upgrade. I mean, Simmons is a, is a wizard at shortstop. He's, he's super fun to watch. Really one of the like more underrated players that I love watching every year. I, I loved when he was in, on the angels watching him and trout every night was just amazing. So, um, glad he got, he found glad he found footing in Minnesota and love that bump for the pitching staff. I agree. I think that's exciting, but that's the extent of the <laughs> analysis we need to do on that. Uh, Deary, I know you want to talk about Wilson Ramos signing with the tigers. We're tigers guys, Ryan, like we said, we live in Detroit area. So you know, anytime we get some tiger news related to fantasy, we'll cover it briefly, but, is there anything you want to say, Deary, about this? Because otherwise, I don't really give a shit. I feel like it's a waste of $2 million, and I want to see Jake Rogers play more, and I'm disappointed in this. Yeah, I mean, for as a Tigers fan, like that's kind of what I would say is, I mean, so maybe Ramos adds a couple wins, and you go from, I don't know, 60 wins to 62. Like, you know, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to crap on your team, but, no, but as a fan, it's, like, it's that, that bad. Bad. we're aware. We're aware. Um, trash, total trash. Trust me. Yeah. I mean, the good thing for Ramos, like fantasy wise, and this is actually, so I was on with Matt Williams on Monday night. Um, and we actually talked about a lot of tigers. Like you think of, of guys who go to the tigers and it's, um, you know, it's the, the lineup, the team, whatever, but these guys are going to play every day. Like mm-hmm. at least Wilson Ramos falls into an everyday job. Like it could have been worse. He could have been a strict platoon with somebody. So, um, at least from that standpoint, I think we can bank on, Pretty regular playing time as far as catchers go with Ramos, but I don't see it like that. I, I mean, Grayson Griner and uh, Jake Rogers—they got a bunch of catchers that they want to get some playing time to, and Ramos would have to prove that. And I don't think he's on the end of his career where he's going to be able to prove that. Yeah, but that's just, why it's a two million dollars signing because I I argued with this with Dave McDonald of a uh, you know uh, Rotosaurus, and he was saying, you know, he has the worst owner in sports, Cleveland does probably has one of the worst owners in sports they traded lindor away for nothing sent well not nothing but not not a great deal not much. and i was bitching about chris illich being one of the worst owners of sports because he's not his father and he's a tight ass but the worst part about him is that he thinks he knows everything and that's the worst kind of owner i know what i'm doing when he doesn't have a clue and he's just a rich asshole in the end and that's that's dangerous territory so i also expect him to want every ounce from the two million dollars that he gave gave to ramos so in this actually you just talked me into it now you might be right shit i just i don't i mean <laughs> it's just yeah if they want to give and i think they i mean i agree like they should give Grenier some playing time and, and see what they have yeah but like, if they wanted to do that why would they sign ramos I, it's just weird it's Fuck. 
I think it's a stopgap for a year. Grayson Griner's not your catcher of the future. I don't even know if Jake Rogers is your catcher of the future. The catcher of your well, future. Can we find out? <laughs> the, well, right. I mean, he came That's up two years ago. He looked he looked awful. Obviously, an amazing defensive catcher. A lot to be desired still offensively, but the catcher of the future is Dylan Dingler, who was drafted last year out of Ohio State. But it's going to take him at least two years before we see him. Uh, in terms of fantasy and with Ramos, I mean, I don't know. I I'd like to know what AJ Hinch wants to do with his catchers. If they're going to split time between Griner and, and Ramos, I don't think you're going to really be able to get much from Ramos fantasy wise. He's probably going to bet near the end of a really poor lineup, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of what the direction is with the catchers this year. And, and I'm really interested to see what happens with Dylan Dingler, uh, dig, dig, is it Diggler or Dingler? I think it's Dingler. Dirk Diggler from Boogie Dingler. Nights. I want. I just. Dingler. We need to just start calling him Dirk Ding- Diggler because that's. This could be phrase. This could be phrasing at this point. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> yeah. So it's. So it's him and also Jake Rogers that uh, you really need to focus on in the minor leagues for any future for the Tigers. But in terms of fantasy, you're not getting anything from a Tigers catcher this year, even though you can get Ramos probably what 680p or so. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. That's enough on the Wilson Ramos signing. More than we probably should have spent on it. But, hey, we're local Detroiters. It happens. All right, that's moving forward on the Hey, It's Enrico Plazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's now time for Enrico's Inquisition. This is where we do stupid-ass, silly scenarios, this or that. We're going to get to know Ryan beyond baseball in the fantasy realm. Ryan, you prepared for this? You think you're ready to roll? What do you say about this? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously ready to go. We'll see where this goes. I don't know. <laughs> all right well hey don't forget I have no secrets to hide though so let's let's oh, roll good. Well, the more open you are the better off the segment will be so let's hit it bryce harper or lenny dykstra bryce harper oceans or lakes which do you prefer lakes oceans terrify me van halen or van hagar oh <laughs> van halen not Ooh. a contest ww84 the movie or trevor bauer trevor bauer has more positive things going for him. He is a good pitcher. Oh, oh, Nelly, get ready for some doozies, because it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, Enrico's Inquisition. <laughs> there it is. All right, that's our little intro into our Inquisition, and we're going to talk to Ryan about all kinds of goofy stuff. We'll find out the truth. We do know that you're a Bills fan, right? Is that fair to say? I, I, I grew up a Bills fan and, and sucker for punishment. Actually went to Super Bowl 27. Oh. Uh, the Leon Lett, uh, Don Beebe oh, wow. game, if you remember that, 52 to 17. Um, I was living out in California at the time. So, yes, I was, I was at that game and have been a uh, – Kind of gotten away from the NFL a little bit in recent years. Uh, when I went to college, I, college football kind of took over for me, and I'm a huge college football fan. But, yeah, oh. NFL-wise, it is the Bills, and they had a, uh, a, a an awesome year. Josh Allen, the growth that he had was, was great. So, yeah, I, I am a long-suffering Bills fan for sure. Are all your uh, foldable tables still alive in your house? 
It's funny. One of my my, my cousin's uh, husband is one of the is one of the like he's legit part of the moth like the the Bills mafia. Season ticket holder forever, and actually was on. He wasn't the guy jumping through the table, but was in that crew egging him on in one of those first like viral videos that went live. Probably this was probably like five or six years ago when they really got famous for it. But yeah, like. Um, yeah, and it's funny, like in the Bills playoff run, we had a kind of a group family text going and before every game, we'd all take a video of us taking a shot before the game and saying, let's go Bills. And, and it <laughs> worked until, until this week. So, Well, I hope you weren't uh, related to the guy who dropped his baby through the table. Remember that video? The, uh, well, that's not that. the best example of the Bills Mafia there. Uh, yeah, that, there was that a gender was a reveal bit. related to the Bills, right? As, as, a, as a dad of a toddler, I, I did cringe a little bit at that one. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, somebody's checking in about the Hokies. Yeah. Yes. You went to Virginia Tech. Yep. Virginia Tech uh, went there 2003 to 2008. So it took five years to get through it, but I eventually did. And yeah, big Hokey football fan. I, I before COVID at least, went try to go to, I'm up in Oregon now, but try to go to a game every year just to, just to see old friends and tailgate and have fun. So um, yeah, big time, big time Hokey fan. I, I was at the, Chris, you'll like this with the, the Michigan poster behind you. I was at the Ohio State Virginia Tech game when Virginia Tech beat, they beat Ohio them. State in the horseshoe. So that was twenty fourteen ish. Yeah, it was the yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was fourteen. It was the year Ohio State won the national title. That was the yeah. Only that was the first year of the playoff. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I was at that game. One hundred five thousand people, and it was wow. a great time. That's that was a stunning we, we, victory. Yeah, I mean, we haven't beaten the Buckeyes in basically <sighs> the last half of my life so it's been pretty sad here in Arbor. Let's please get off college football. <laughs> yeah, you know, it re- it's 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 really just disappointing because you know, Michigan football is a big part of our lives and now it's all gone. We first got into the podcast industry through college football. We did a college football podcast in the fall yes. of 2019. That's what started it for us. Really? Huh. Yes. Yes, we it was uh, called the Sharp Idiots, and we just did college football every week. It was great. We'd break down Big Ten focus and kind of expand from there because you know we're Big Ten people. And yeah, yeah with the the way Michigan's gone, fo- Michigan football has gone straight to hell. And in fact, Virginia Tech football is you know not yeah, such a party either. We're we're with you. We uh, we are not looking good right now. So we're all living whatever. in the past. Our programs yeah. are <laughs> living in the past right now. <laughs> through thick and thin, you stick with it. Yeah, you know, that's I, I've always had a difficult time trying not to be such a psycho loyalist to anything because they don't give a shit about me. But I also mm-hmm. enjoy the programs or teams. And it's tough for me to walk this fine line. That's it's always been a challenge for me. Yeah, I, but I, I get what you're saying. It's, it's nothing. It's all stuff out of your control. And even like right. I mean, and even like fantasy, like I enjoy the stuff I can control, putting out content, writing, tweeting, stuff like that. But then, like, you get to the point of, like, rooting for your team, even if it's just your fantasy team or the, or Michigan or the Hokies. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I used to be, like, fanatic about it. And I still am. But I, I do realize now it's just like, you know, this is a hobby. And it's out of my control. I'll do what I can and have fun with it. Yeah, we were fanatic. I was fanatical for a long time. I used to go to the immediate, like, the signing what was it like media days where you, the whole team was there yeah. at the big house and you yeah. get everything signed. Exactly. And I used to go every year to that. And 
eventually I was like, what am I doing? I'm 26 years old. I don't know. I changed a little bit at that point. Anyways, it's not about me. It's about you, Ryan. So let's get into it. Um, Josh Allen or Jim Kelly? Oh, Jim Kelly, man. Jim Kelly. I've got, I've got an autographed Jim Kelly football. He's he's growing up. He's my legend. So he's, uh, yeah. No debate. I don't have to, have to think too hard about that one. Oh, okay. I thought Josh Allen was growing on the Bills uh, people, but Jim Kelly has such a legacy, even though he didn't win a Super Bowl, four Super Bowl appearances, and, you know, he's been through cancer so many times. It's You know, it seems like a, a, yeah. a guy that you yeah, would for. Ambassador for the city. So is Josh Allen. Um, but, yeah, let's give Josh Allen kind of 10 more years, and, you know, then he can get the Kelly status. At least you got two quarterbacks to choose him from in your lifetime. We don't have any. <laughs> Detroit Lions, Rodney Pete, Eric Kramer, uh, Matt Stafford. Was Joey Harrington. Joey, yeah, Joey Harrington. Uh, Andre Ware. Don't forget Andre Ware, Ryan. Um, I got to tell you, that's that's interesting to hear you say that. Just if somebody could tell Josh Allen not to drop back like 30 yards when he panics in the playoffs, you know, he does that a lot. He's got to throw the ball away a little bit more. I would just throw that little piece of it. He's getting better at it. Still still has his moments. He does. He does. Um, Michael Vick or Jim Druckenmiller? Oh, oh, nice (laughs) pull of Druck. Man. Not too many people know him. I got to go Michael Vick. I mean, he made Virginia Tech what, you know, he really elevated not only just the football team, but the whole school. And for some, for a college player to do that, especially him as a freshman to go to the national championship game, uh, they had a great defense in 99. But for one player, a freshman to do that, you you barely see that in college football. Um, Like Manziel is maybe the closest that, I can think of of a quarterback who's just like a one-man show. So I'll go Vic. Um, obviously, some you know things post college, Scott Mitchell. Some things <laughs> post college with the dog and uh, you know the dog fighting and some pretty despicable stuff there. But as a as a college quarterback, yeah. there's no um, no doubting what he was, man. Yeah, he was a hell of a player. I remember he was my favorite player by far. Especially in 99, Tech when they lost to Florida State mm-hmm. in 2000. All, just everything he did uh, was very exciting. And the dog fighting thing broke a lot of hearts. It really did. But I also believe in redemptions and forgiving people. And he's really tried to change his life from that experience. So I'm not somebody who condemns people forever. And I know there's animal people out there who are going to be pissed at me. I probably shouldn't even say anything because they're just going to condemn me forever. But I've give, been given myself second chances. And I believe that those matter. So, um, by the way, coaching ish, our buddy Doug from the SB Streamer podcast <laughs> said, Scott Mitchell. Uh, thanks, Doug. Thank you very much. And Doug, by the way, is one of the best hosts in the business. Oh, yeah. And nobody does an intro like Doug. Even I've done some great intros, but Doug, uh, you take the cake, my friend. Yeah. All right, continuing forward, uh, this is one I always like to ask uh, sliders or curveballs? Give me a curve. Give me the 12 to 6. <laughs> oh, I love the 12 to 6. Um, yeah. You look at like a, I love like a Nola curve or like a, I'm trying to think of some of like my favorite curveballs. Well, Barrios curveball, I like Barrios. Yeah, curveball. Barrios curve is good. I, it's just like I, I don't know. Everyone has a slider now. It's kind of, I don't know. Charlie Morton uh, changed his career with the curveball usage, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, I, I love a good twelve to six. I, I mean, I, I can't believe I didn't think of this, but like the Kershaw curve is just. I mean, that that is art. Like that is just. That's it's just beautiful. So give me the, give me the curve over I thought Verlander's curve is always underrated. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we're Detroit people, but it is a great pitch. 
Oh, there was a lot of late action on his. That's why his was so good. He didn't need a slider because his his would just drop right at the end. Yeah, and I know he kind of I know kind of got away from it with Houston, but yeah, in the in the heyday with Detroit, like God, that curve was fantastic. <laughs> uh, paper or plastic? I go uh, so an Oregon plastic is illegal, so I gotta Whoa! go paper. <laughs> yeah, they banned plastic bag. I mean, Oregon's very uh, progressive state. And they ba- they banned plastic bags like two years ago. So uh, I'll go paper. I'll I'll support the local timber industry here and uh, and do paper. I do usually bring my bags though with me and, and stock up. But but I'll go. Damn, Dude, that is fantastic. I didn't know they did that. I mean, I'd heard about the decriminalizing all drugs thing last year, but wow, plastic is outlawed. That yep. that's impressive. Oregon, kudos to you guys. Uh, would you prefer? Matt Olson or Pete Alonzo? Uh, Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo. And I was off of Pete Alonzo last year. I thought he was way overvalued. I think he's got more raw power. I think he's, and especially now, hitting in a better lineup. Um, pretty good park and similar batting average. So I'll, I'll go Pete Alonzo. And the baseball forecaster, we uh, actually, it's funny, both of those guys. So in the, in the forecaster that HQ puts out, Every year, we actually both snapped 50 home run upside on both of those guys. Uh, there's only a handful of guys that can hit 50, and those are two of them. But if if I, I put my money on Pete, on Polar Bear Pete. Shout out to uh, my friend, Carlos Marcano, who was on the pod on Monday. He was touting Matt Olson. He still believes that he can be the man. An MVP candidate, possibly. He is very, very <laughs> bullish on Matt Olson. So we'll see. Uh, how that plays out, but Matt Olson, last time a MVP batted 240 in a year. Well, Matt Olson also hit 267 in a year. He can, I mean, it's happened. I'm not saying that's the norm, and maybe there's a middle ground there, like a 250 hitter. But you're right, the last MVP to hit 250, boy, I've probably I got nothing. probably has never happened. I, a, <laughs> I, I'd be pretty confident that that's never happened. I could be wrong, but yeah, I was I gonna say if, if Cecil Fielder hadn't been screwed. When he should have won MVP back in the early 90s, he you probably hit around 260, 250. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, back-to-back years. Cecil Fielder has the first guy to hit 50 home runs since George Foster in 77 in 1990. And then in 91, he has a, he matches it with another 44 triple-digit RBIs. He's, he's a stud. But Ricky Henderson and Cal Ripken stole the MVPs. Both years. Damn shame. All right. Sorry, Miguel Cabrera stole it back from Trout in 2012. So don't. Oh, well, it's a triple crown. It's overrated, of course. Is aren't triple crowns overrated, Ryan? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> they 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 just happen too often, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, I'm just giving you guys crap. Fair enough. No, we deserve that, and uh, I I respect you for that. Um, how about this? Your 20s or your 30s? I'm only halfway through my 30s. Um. And so far, I'll go. I'll go twenties. I'll go the the good old days. Um, <laughs> the good old days. I'll go the good old days. Someone had a successful twenties, then Ryan. <laughs> pretty pretty successful twenties. Lived in, moved all over the country: North Carolina, Ohio, Arizona, and then Oregon, and then uh, got married. Actually, got married at thirty. So I probably should say thirties, shouldn't I? You don't have. You can say whatever you truly feel. Twenties <laughs> okay. were fun. 30s, I'm, getting, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm getting old. Yeah. All right. If you had a good time, you had a good time. Screw it. Yep. Uh, Barry Sanders or Thurman Thomas? 
Oh, I'll go Barry. I have to. I'll go Barry. I mean, just, dude, uh, so fun to watch. So fun to watch. Though Thurman Thomas is one of the more underrated running backs of all time. Um, No one is like Barry Sanders. I've never seen anything like him, and I doubt we'll see anything like him again. So I'll I'll go Sanders. I'll remove my Bills bias and uh, go with Barry. Can you imagine being at OK State in the late 80s as a student? Yep. Back to back. Thurman Thomas followed by Barry Sanders. That's just ridiculous. Mind-blowing. Yeah. Absurd. Yep. Very especially rare Oklahoma moment. State. I mean, not, nothing against Oklahoma State, but it's not exactly, especially back then, not like a, you know, football power. It's not a, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn no. State kind of a deal. For though, yeah, for that school, for that program to to have yeah, two uh, Hall of Famers back, back here. I don't think they have any other Hall of Famers within that. Uh, they overachieved, yeah, they overachieved. Yeah. Good for them. Uh, do you prefer the toilet paper to come out from the bottom or over the top? Over the top. Oh, oh, and- oh great movie. <laughs> Over the top, Sly Stallone. Love that movie. Uh, I didn't know that. That was a quick answer. Are you pretty hardcore on this? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty hardcore. I'll flip it if I see it otherwise. So. <laughs> I don't have a preference. That's that's why we ask these questions. That's uh, a couple more. We'll wrap this up. Um, barrel rate or hard hit rate? Do you think one is more important than the other? Barrel rate, for sure. Uh, barrel rate because it. It's much more correlated to raw power. It's a better raw power indicator, um, and it incorporates uh, your trajectory. So, um, like maybe one of the guys we'll talk about later, like an Eric Hosmer is always at a pretty good hard hit rate, but 60% of the time on the ground, and that really doesn't do you any good. So I'll go barrel rate. There's been some really good studies on on, on barrel rate as a metric and how it correlates to homers, and it's predictive. Uh, that I, That's a pretty core metric i use for uh for for evaluating power wow okay yeah i'm always fascinated where people come out on those very cool um how about this zach morris or ac slater saved by the bell who you got i mean i wasn't a big wasn't a big day by the (laughs) i just watched sports center like all in my (laughs) my my years um, but I'll go AC. I'll go AC. I like uh, uh, show, show off the guns, show off the arms. I'll, I'll, I'll go with him. Zach Morris is trash. That was the right answer. Very, very good. Okay, finally, for love or money. Which one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with love, man. If you're, if you're not, if, if you're not happy, then and whatever then life sucks so we'll go with love be happy have fun and do what you love love who you love and that's my advice my life advice i guess beautiful that is how you close out enrico's inquisition very impressive thank you ryan for being a good sport that was fun don't forget the plaza podcast is part of the roto fanatic podcast network we have the data monster that's right the data monster is available for your perusal we got historical data so you can compare all the way back to 2015 and also look at prospects and compare projected outcomes for prospects pretty cool stuff paul mamino at p mamino fantasy on twitter is one of the brains the brains really behind this thing and uh, we're really proud of it so check it out rotofanatic.com good things are happening ryan have you checked it out yet 
I have. I've actually been on the Data Monster, and Paul does some some great work. So I, I definitely like to check out some of the stuff Roto Fanatic's been doing, especially like the park factors were fantastic last year. And uh, then, uh, yeah, you dive into some of that uh, Data Monster. It's uh, it's a really cool start. It's a really good good tool, and um, I love diving into numbers and, and doing that. And you'll see that with like the bloom boards and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, the, the kind of the stuff and the splits you can pull and 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 things like that. It's uh, it's a it's an excellent tool. I'm really excited to see like how it grows and where you all take it. So shout out to Paul on that for sure. Also, shout out to Crosby Spencer. He did the Park Factors last year. Very, yeah, very intelligent yeah. dude. And he's got more in store. He's going to be coming on the show soon because he's going to have his projections done and his expected stats. It's going to be really interesting stuff. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. All right. Let's get to the fantasy segment of the show now. Fantasy breakdown. We're going to do a little bit of ADP analysis. What do you say? I say, Okay. Yeah, you never know. There's a lot of conundrums out there when it comes to ADP. So you got to do all, the best all of life's questions in one sound bit. I like. It. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we just you can just really break down life to its essence in ten seconds or less. All right. So I have a couple here. I'm going to ask you a couple more too, but I really want to talk with you about Eric Hosmer because I saw your tweet about Eric Hosmer. And what I took from it is that you're a little bit suspect. You feel like 2020 would have shown more ground balls continuing to roll off his bat. Is that fair to say? So, yeah, a couple of things with Hosmer. Um, yeah, I put that tweet out there. And just to kind of, I don't know, just to, just to throw a, a, some more perspective on something. Because I think a lot of times um, the industry in general tends to just focus on last year and what I wanted to do with that tweet with Eric Cosmer. So if anyone hasn't seen it, I took his rolling ground ball rate for the last five years, like a 15 game rolling average for the last five years and kind of highlighted the points where he has had similar spurts of ground ball rate than what we saw in 2020, because the kind of the narrative and what folks are talking about is, um, you know, Hosmer lifted his launch angle and it's an approach change and that's going to stick going forward. Um, I'm making the point that, you know, that could very well be true. And Hosmer actually has been quoted as saying like, he's made a concerted effort to lift and it, that's what he should be doing. So there is something to that. I'm just pointing out, like we kind of just look at 2020 and arbit arbitrary endpoints and said, oh, he had a 50% ground ball rate last year. Um, he's had similar spurts of that ground ball rate in 2014, 15, 17 and 18, I think it was. And we just never notice it because it's either in the middle of a season or towards the end of the season. And we don't look at those stats kind of as they happen. And that's the case with like a lot of guys. I mean, you, I mean, these skills and stats fluctuate throughout a player's career. HQ, we did something real. Uh, Patrick Davitt for HQ, who does our podcast, um, did it, Derek Jeter's rolling batting average throughout his career. And Derek Jeter, one of the best batting average shortstops um, in recent memory. And even Jeter had prolonged spells where he was like a 250 hitter throughout his career. And it's just kind of like variant. So that's what I wanted to point out with the Hosmer tweet is like to say, hey, you know, he very well may have changed his launch angle and, and changed his approach to do that. There's also a, a decent probability that it's just random variants that we've actually seen from him before. So I was just throwing that out there. 
boy, 132 ADP. By the way, all ADPs come from NFBC, and they're as of January 1. 132, and he's around Mike Moustakas, Dominic Smith, Ryan Mountcastle, and then it drops off farther from there. I thought last year Hosmer was a value. This year, now I'm starting to question that because of what you just said. And if that ball is not lifting, if I'm... If I'm to believe that I'm going to get 30 home runs and 10 steals from him, am I crazy? Uh, 30 home runs, probably. I'd, I'd probably go like really? 2025 um, yeah. with okay. with with it again a pretty good amount of bags. The thing with Hosmer, actually, I mean, I the price is okay. He's like the 15th first baseman going off the board. Um, great lineup. I mean, Padres are. Padres are pretty stacked, so the counting stats, which we don't talk about enough, I think, in fantasy with runs and RBI, are going to be fine. And and the thing with launch angle and that sort of thing, like Hosmer makes hard contact and he makes plenty of contact. So like even if the ground ball rate kind of goes down a little bit, he doesn't get that that power that that thirty home runs. What he might lack in that will actually help his batting average. So um i think either way like if you get the 30 home run version of hosmer um i think the batting average is going to suffer a little bit just because fly balls aren't good for batting average um but either way i think you're getting a pretty consistent performer in a great lineup um with with good contact skills and hard hit power um it's just what's the trajectory going to be so i think he's fine where he's going um in, in adp i would take him ahead of like a Mount Castle and, and probably wouldn't think too hard about it. Oh, okay. So that's the yeah. scenario here. Hosmer <laughs> versus Mount Castle. And I also throw in Dom Smith now because we're hot looking name. at Dom Smith. Go ahead. Hot name. Dom Smith, hot name right now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But if you're talking about sample sizes and I mean Dom Smith had a great little 2020 run there, but you know what? <laughs> Hosmer has shown that he can produce in full seasons. So don't we want to take a little more faith in that? Or is Dom Smith, what Dom Smith was so impressive in 2020, was it that amazing that we got to be like, whoa, Dom Smith is better than Hosmer any day of the week, and I'm taking him all week long if there's a draft. It's tricky. Uh, there, and the cop out answer is like they're two different guys. I think, I think, Tom Smith, yeah, they, re- I mean, they really, in terms of, just, I mean, even like production and like the type of profile, like Dom Smith, weird case, like he, I mean, we were really high on him as a prospect and he never really got a chance, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to play really that often with, with the Mets and people thought he'd be blocked behind Alonzo and that sort of thing. And so um, he kind of flipped that narrative and really broke out with a pretty skill supported um 2020 and to try and avoid the siren here like <laughs> yeah it was only it was only so long of a season so the you know if you're high on dom smith you're gonna say he's always been this good um he's been a great prospect he has the tools he's just never been given the opportunity he finally did last year and look what happened if you're taking the flip side of dom smith you're saying 2020 um 60 games avoid the siren so <laughs> So yeah, two different two different guys. Hosmer's the safer play. You wonder a little bit about playing time with Dom Smith, especially if the National League doesn't get a DH. So there's there's that as well. Um, exactly. You're fine taking either one, honestly. Um, but Mountcastle's oh, shit. There's no way to avoid this. Mountcastle's 2020 was even a tiny It was even tinier. Yeah. I mean, it was 
So Dom Smith at least showed more of a range in 2020 than Mountcastle did. I think Smith is a safer play than Mountcastle, although I do like Mountcastle in Dynasty Leagues long term. That's a different story. Yeah, I would would say like Hosmer, Smith are about tied and... um... Depending on how you how how risky you want to get, depending how you know, did you take risky guys early in the draft? You need to stabilize that with a Hosmer, or did you go super safe early and then you start going upside with Dom Smith? But yeah, both of those guys I would grab over Mountcastle. Agree, like I I think Mountcastle is more of a long term play. I it's 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 hard to see what he'll do in twenty one, but I like I like Smith and Hosmer over him. There it is. Thank you. Speaking of people with upside, the next guy is Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore is probably one of the most divisive names right now in fantasy because he offered so much potential of excitement, speed, power, combo, everything you want. He's an infielder, too. I mean, he does have outfield eligibility, but he's got, depending on your league, shortstop, second base. He played around the diamond a bit. Kind of came out of nowhere to some people. I mean, if you dig deeper and you're a dynasty and a prospects guy, you're probably aware of who he was, but he wasn't a super highly touted prospect either, yeah. as far as I know. <laughs> Dylan Moore or Jonathan VR. Now, I actually think this is not a crazy comparison because I find their skill sets to be somewhat similar. VR could maybe hit for a better average than Moore, but what's your take between these two? And I know VR doesn't have a team either, yeah. so maybe this is stupid, but he's going to sign somewhere. He's going to he's going to sign somewhere. Is he going to sign with a team that's going to play him every day like the Marlins? That 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 we don't know. Or is he going to be signed by I don't know, the Dodgers, which everyone, you know, great, but then where's where and when is he going to play? Cuz he's really not that great of a um of a real life fantasy player, just defensively, the walk rate, that sort of thing. Much better player in fantasy. I agree like more in VR have similar type profiles. VR just has that extra ceiling of being able to, you know, snag 50 bags and really be a game changer. Like I don't see Dylan Moore. I think he's kind of capped at like a 20 stolen base, which is fine. Um, so I think if, if, if VR signs with the team and plays, um, you know, half the time I'm taking Dylan Moore, if VR signs back with like a Miami and they just let him play every day and run, um, I'm taking VR. I think just probability wise, the chance that VR signs with somebody and they just let him play and run is probably pretty low. So I'm going to go Dylan Moore. I think the other thing with Dylan Moore is like, yeah, the position eligibility is just, is just so important, especially, and I mentioned this earlier, like COVID still lingering around, like guys are going to be out. Anyone who played fantasy last year, like you had times where you could literally not field a team because so many teams were out with, you know, COVID and that sort of thing. And having a Dylan Moore who you could plug in anywhere is almost like having an extra roster spot or two. So I'm going to go Dylan Moore. It doesn't have the ceiling and, and the prospect pedigree and that sort of thing, but uh, gets you pretty pretty good five-category production at probably five different positions. That's that's pretty rare. I, I streamed Dylan Moore last year, and he was an absolute stud for me. Uh, he's one of the guys that I think you got to take warning on in 2021 just because, you know, low average, medium power in 2019, batted 206 in 113 games. Obviously, he had a really nice six-week stretch last year 
not the best hard hit rate, had a massive barrel jump last year, and he really crushed the fastball last year, but he didn't really do that in 19. But I'm a little worrisome about him. I mean, I think he's going as high as he can right now because of those stolen bases. Can he get 20 to 25? I think that's doable if he can play around all around the diamond, like Ryan said. But if you're looking for steals, there's guys like Tommy Pham and Victor Robles, uh, you know, going 40 spots after him. So, uh, but you know, to play my own devil's advocate, like Ryan said, he can play all over the diamond, which might help. And I think that ADP right now, I think it's a little high, but I think it might be okay if you can play him all over the place. And if he can somehow bat over like 240, if he can bat at 250, 260 at the top of the lineup, you know, for the Mariners, 25, maybe 30 bags could really, really help because steals are tough to get in fantasy and everyone knows that. And if, you know, you're, whether you're playing him at second base or in the outfield, he can definitely help you. But I would say take warning on, on Dylan Moore because there's just not a massive sample size either. It is a good point, Chris, on the price. Like he's he's pretty fully priced at uh, like a you know just outside the top hundred. So it, you, you're you're definitely paying a premium for for Dylan Moore. Would you rather want Dylan Moore or Tommy Edmond about twenty spots later? I'll go Dylan Moore. I'll go Dylan Moore. Yeah, I, I, I other, like go ahead. Ed, Edmund's similar just because he has yeah. second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility as well. Yeah, that's a good comp. I mean, the other thing with Moore, too, is like Seattle's going to let – I mean, the team context is the same as it was last year. So they're going to let him run like they did last year. And frankly, like Seattle doesn't have much competition. Um, like Dylan Moore is going to have plenty of leash. I, I don't – it's, you know, it's not like if he's not producing, Seattle's going to, uh, you know, send him down or whatever. They they What do they have to lose? They want to see what they have with Moore. So I, th- I think the leash is there, and and I think he'll run. But, yeah. Friend of the show, Mikey Ajetto over at Pitcher List and Lookout Landing, which is a Mariners focused. Nice. Yes. Yes. And Mikey wrote an article about Dylan Moore that is now available on Lookout Landing. Go to lookoutlanding.com or go to his Twitter page and follow him. Uh, his Twitter handle always screws me up at D Y S T H Y Mikey. That's his Twitter <laughs> handle. I still don't know how to pronounce that one. Anywho, this is an article in support of Dylan Moore. So. Just some things to look at real quickly. He performed, according to Mikey, like Wilson Contreras, the catcher for the Cubs, by Expo. And by barrel percentage and hard hit percentage, he hit like Eugenio Suarez and Fran Mil Reyes. So those are those are interesting comps, depending on... I mean, both those to me are different, Suarez and Reyes a little bit. But if you get the best of those, then you love what you see here. I don't want to spend the rest of the show on Dylan Moore, but... It seems like second base as well is home to a lot of fascinating and controversial opinions with Ozzie Albies, Kevin Biggio, and more. So second base seems to be like the most intensely debated position of 2021 early draft season. Moore either becomes a top 75 player or he's fishing down over in the 300s. So someone's going to be right and very happy or someone's going to be very wrong and upset. Yeah, I feel like that middle of the road option is is yeah, like he's either going one way or the other. I think I agree with that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'd like to do uh, one more. I'd like to talk pitchers, and I know that you've brought this guy up before because I listened to the Turn Two Pod that you did with Matt, and I check out your Twitter. I follow you, and I bookmark your tweets because that's a great way. By the way, if you want to go back to something later, bookmark a tweet. It's a fantastic way to go back and check the work on someone's tweet that is very impressive, like Ryan 
Broom, Broomfield. I thought of Broomfield, Colorado for a minute. Shit, I'm sorry. Ryan Bloomfield. Almost, almost moved there once. Did you really? Yeah. I, went on, I went on a date there once with this girl, and we had a great time. We went bowling, and she said that if you touched her, she would have an orgasm. And I was like, what? No. I remember, I remember I like, you telling like, me this story. You poke her, and she would. She was like one of these unique people. You would just poke her, and she would have an organ. It was very, very strange. But it was true. It was really bizarre. <laughs> Anyways, that's what's going on in Broomfield, Colorado in 2011. Kind of glad I show. didn't take that job then. <laughs> you would have run into her. Well, she was great. She was a very sweet girl. I, I hope she's doing well. Anywho, I'm so sure you brought listening. up <laughs> – you have your bloom boards. We're going to talk more about your bloom boards in a second with your fantasy process. But Nathan Eovaldi is a player that stood out, and he's not that expensive at all right now. His ADP is down to like 230, 240-ish, uh, uh, 231 right now on NFBC. Would you rather have Nathan Eovaldi or Brady Singer? I'll go I'll go Evaldi. I'll go Evaldi pretty 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 handily. I I and especially like where they're both going in drafts, I I try and target someone with the ceiling and singer. You know, that kind of sounds weird because Evaldi's like a 10-year veteran and singer is a prospect. Um and then to say Evaldi has a higher ceiling is kind of weird. But um what Evaldi did last year and how he got on this bloom board was that he was one of four pitchers, four starting pitchers with a 20 percent uh i think it was 20 percent swinging strike rate uh no sorry it was a double digit swinging strike rate on four different pitches oh four okay yeah so he's got four different pitches that had a double digit swinging strike rate which is really good he was one of four pitchers to do that the other three were shane bieber max scherzer and blake snell all going in the top 50 and of all these going to 50 so that's pretty good company to be in. Evaldi kind of switched up his pitch mix last year and threw more cutters. I think that sticks around. I think that's a tangible change um, that that can stick in 2021. And yeah, um, Boston's going to let him go. I mean, the, the rub with Evaldi, as always, has been health. Like, yeah, there's a, some major volume risk with Evaldi. But again, at that stage of the draft, I'm not really worrying about like stable starting pitching. I'm I'm more just chasing that upside. And if and if Evaldi kind of sticks with that new pitch mix, continues to miss bats with an array of different pitches, um, he's going to do really well. And Boston's going to let him go because, again, as we were talking with like Seattle, well, I mean, what does Boston have to lose? Um, they're going to let him pitch and let him go as, as long as they can. So I, I like, I'm really high on Evaldi. I'm surprised his price is, um, is this low in early drafts. We'll see if that changes or not. Beautiful. The only reason I compared him to Singer is because Evaldi's always hurt. You can never get a full season out of him, and you're not going to get a full season out of Singer either. I'm sure he'll be limited. And I actually see them as a similar comparison there, but that would be the only part I'm comparing them to their ADP and their limitations and in innings pitched. But after that, what you've shown on your bloom boards really does put him in super elite company. And if he can continue to do that in 2021, let's party. I, I love Brady Singer though. I think he's a bulldog on the mound. He has something that you can't necessarily account for with his intensity uh, he's a real competitor and that's part of his scouting profile outside of the analytics, but he also doesn't have a full pitch mix like Evaldi can, can offer. Right. I, yeah, I think. Singer's, go, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, like, yeah, he's not it, it just against major league hitters. The development hasn't been there. Like, he showed great signs. Like, I, lo- I love a lot of the things that, that we saw from him last year. The forecaster, we put an upside of 350 ERA on him. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like Singer quite a bit. But it's more it's more just me being having a man crush on Evolve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you went into that deep dive of, about Evaldi. I mean – Looking at the two pitchers together, I mean, Brady Singer's, what, 24 years old. He's only pitched 64 innings in the majors, you know, never even got to AAA with the shortened season last year. I think Brady Singer in two years has the opportunity to be a top 20 pitcher. And on the flip side, Nathan Evaldi's going to be 31, you know, by opening day. And sure, the, there's been health concerns the last few years, but he's that type of guy that, is a late bloomer 30 31 starts to figure it out like ryan said he's got four pitches so i think the more dependable guy is evaldi and you're saying he's going what right now 250 260 mike uh he's 230 in nfbc right now since january one yeah right now he's the number one in boston with sale out for a little bit so uh i think there could be some really sneaky upside with evaldi so i love that deep dive that ryan did on his bloom boards well there it is that's a little bit of our I mean, that's the point of doing these is you try and find these like these underlying stats, these things that that make a list of like, I don't know, some guys that you would expect to be there. Like, you know, guys who miss miss a bunch of bats with four pitches like Shane Bieber. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like it kind of validates what you're doing. So you get some of those obvious guys. You don't learn much from it. But then you get like your Nady Evaldi. These guys you are like, oh, that dude. And then you uh, you kind of take that deeper dive into into, you know whatever and and see if you want to make 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 him a target or not that dude i loved how you put that i i need a drop that says something along those lines okay. i drafted that dude look who showed up in my bloom boards it's that dude all right thank you cool a little bit of adp conundrums there now we're gonna break down into fantasy process so let's get out of the adp world by playing the song one more time By the way, I did draft Ryan Presley in the Battle of the Podcast season two. Um, I might regret that, but I did do it. I've done it, folks, and I cannot turn back because that draft is over. We're talking with Ryan Bloomfield, and you can follow him on Twitter. That's always a fun thing to do, right? Ryan BHQ and we're going to talk about his fantasy process now. This is the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Two L's, two Z's on Twitter. Oh, give me two. That's right. We always got two of those. And we're going to talk now about the process. I want to know how you look at fantasy. And you can give us as much or as little as you want because, you know, people pay for your content, too. You're over at Baseball HQ and people subscribe. And it's worth it, too, by the way. This is actually one of the websites for my 2021 draft analysis that I've decided to pay for this year. And it was a really smart move on my part. So thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, the names associated Ron Chandler. And I mean, I've learned so much about who he is now. And I didn't know much about him. I played me and Derry have been playing fantasy baseball for 20 years, but I, I didn't really know who Ron Chandler was coming into this industry. And I feel, I'm just going to be honest about that. I'm never going to lie about who I am and I don't know everything. So now I know. If there is, and not to get too far off, but if and this is how I got into fantasy, if you've heard of or read the book Fantasyland, it's all about it's a New York Times writer who made a guest who had a guest invite to Tout Wars for one season, and he wrote an entire book about it. This was about uh, maybe 
maybe 15, 20 years ago now, Sam Walker. Um, so there's a book and there's a documentary called Fantasyland. And it, yeah, Chandler is like the main character in the book and documentary. And it's it's fantastic. So Beautiful. I'm going to check that out for sure. I just wrote it down. Thank you. See, again, this is why we do the show. Get to learn. I mean, I'm selfishly serving myself. I want to learn too. Okay. I'm like everybody else. What can I say? All right. First thing you do, Ryan, when a new season of drafting starts, what's the first thing that you do? Is there one thing really that you do or is it really just a multitude of things at once? It's a few things. So the really the first thing I'll do is I, I'm not a huge pro, like projections guy. So I'll take um, some projections of of a few sources that I really trust. HQ obviously is is one of them. I'm a little bit biased, but I, I really like our projection process. Uh, and I, I I basically say that there are people smarter than me developing projection systems. So I'll take that and use that as my base. And then really what I do is kind of go player by player and focus on like what I call the soft stuff, team context, injury context. Like did, did someone with someone's homer to fly ball rate way down last year because they were playing hurt. And that is something that like a projection system might not account for. Um, and I basically try and build like, a, and, and you've had Dave McDonald on and I love how he puts this. I, I basically try and come up with reasons not to draft people Uh, Because I think fantasy baseball and picking the right players is so important and it's so important to avoid landmines. So my goal is to try and kind of pick holes in every player um, and use the projections that other smart people have and and have developed as my base, but then try and pick holes in that. And the guys who where I can poke the fewest holes in um, are the guys that I'm really trying to target, Um, at least until like. The, the early mid parts of the draft. Once you get late in draft, like there's holes with everybody. So you're kind of trying to speculate on upside. And I could kind of lean on that a little bit more uh, or talked about that before, but uh, that's my general process is to like find flaws in people, which is kind of like sadistic and, 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 and messed up, but, but <laughs> it's, it's worked. It's, I, I just try and avoid landmines and, uh, and that's, that's my process. I think that's a better strategy than talking yourself into a guy that you're massively going to regret. I think right. that's what most people in the industry do. So that's a great strategy, Ryan. Yeah, that's what. I, and I also, I, try, I mean, I try and and there's so much content out there on like the first round or who's the, you know, should you take Tatis or Acuna or uh, Betts <laughs> as the first pick? Like. It's interesting. It's interesting content, but it's not really useful to me. So I try. I actually start. Um, my process in like, I really feel like rounds eight through 15 are where fantasy drafts are, are one. Um, and where leagues are one, not exactly just your total end game and not your first few rounds where everybody's good. Focus on those middle rounds first. Those are the guys who all kind of start my, my deep dives and trying to poke holes into those guys. I, I think the the mid game is where, um, if you make some of those picks like a Rafael Devers was like a 10th round pick two years ago and just, just crush it. And if you got him, you were a league winner. Um, so if you can nail those middle rounds, I, I, I think, I think you're doing good. So that's where I try and start with my kind of going player by player. Wow. That's cool, man. I hadn't thought about it like that. People always say drafts are one late, but that is a new scenario. Plus, I also heard you say on Matt's Two Turn Pod, which is also part of the Roll the Fanatic Podcast Network, the Turn Two Podcast, featuring Matt Williams, that you don't, you're not going to look at every single player in a database because it's just too many names, it's too many people, right? 
And that's kind of how, yeah, exactly. Like, and we're all human. Like if, if I have 500 players to analyze, like I'm not gonna, <laughs> there are going to be some guys. And I think with Matt, we were talking about Evan Longoria and it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to spend any time analyzing Evan. Like, I think I know who he is and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's just as human nature, like we're not machines. Post, post uh, hype sleeper, Evan Longoria, 37 <laughs> <laughs> you really i mean you can't hit every player the same like you just can't there's just too many guys and and that's actually like how kind of the bloom boards were spawned i guess is it's just another way to slice and dice the player pool so like going back to our evaldi example if i'm going player by player i might you know i might just pass over evaldi or just or just think his name and say ah, injury risk i'm not gonna you know whatever um, but then you slice the data a little bit differently and you bring up like a list of these five guys. And I say, Oh, that dude, um, that's someone Evaldi who like, I wouldn't normally dive into. And now since he shows up on this list of guys with good, whatever's, um, I'm going to take a deeper dive and go at it that way. So it's kind of like a, it's, it's a little bit player by player, but that only gets you so far. And then you kind of hit it on, you slice the data a little bit differently with these filters and these lists. And they bring up other names of guys who you might have, you know, just glossed over. So how did bloom boards come to fruition and how does that help you when, you know, analyzing fantasy? I did it really for, um, I've been doing it for a while and really it's for my own content at baseball HQ is I would just come up with different ways again, slice the player pool and, and, and come up with names. And then it was about like, I think it was two years ago where I had the, the intuition to make a hashtag and, you know, incorporate my last name in it and make it alliterative media right there. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit of marketing. I probably should have done that you know, years before, but whatever. Um, so yeah, I just kind of started that really as a way to like, if you just wanted to see all my stuff, you just click that hashtag and you can see everything. And since then it has grown to people look forward to it and they comment on guys and it just starts a conversation. And that's what I love about it. By the way, Dave McDonald's here. And he was really, really pleased to hear you mention his name right as he came on. How about that, Dave? Oh, Isn't that beautiful. Also, Should Dave loves your COVID hair. <laughs> Who doesn't, except for my wife? <laughs> oh, damn it. It's always got to be a party pooper. Well, hey, look, yeah, yeah. we love your hair, and we love the fact that you've taken a chance. And open your mind to us as well by sharing how you look at things and your process. Bloomboards could not exist today. You could have decided to say, you know, I'm just going to keep everything to myself. How do you balance that? Like uh, what you want to share with the public and maybe what you want to keep to yourself. Is there anything that you keep to yourself? Honestly, not really. The only thing I would keep to myself is like a draft strategy that I may like. So I've got the labor mix draft coming up, um, which is one of the kind of the first industry drafts of the year in early February. I've got some ideas for how I want to attack the draft and I'll probably keep that to myself. But in terms of like player analysis and and things that research and things I learned, I throw that all out there. I actually made a mention of this earlier. Like I put out an article on HQ this morning and um, and it got like just four comments saying, you know, this is awesome content. Like, thanks. This helps me out a lot. And I put this on Twitter and just say, like, to me, as like an analyst, that is probably even better than like being a successful fantasy player like i just i like i don't know this sounds corny but like i like putting out good content it's a challenge to me to do it mm -hmm. and i like when people um 
enjoy it and use it to help them. So like I get as much enjoyment as, out of that as I do, you know, competing in, in fantasy baseball. Um, you know, I, I'm not the best player out there. Like, yeah, I've won leagues, but I've also finished, finished last in leagues before. Like, <gasps> like it happens. And again, we were talking about this earlier, like stuff out of your control. Like I try not to root for my teams all that much. I just try and control what I can control, put the content out there and with the community, the way it is. Um, I don't really hide. Like I just like putting it out there and, and, and engaging with folks. So that's no, my, I'm that's my spiel. Beautiful. You're just getting going here, man. You're just heating up. I like it. I love the passion and I appreciate the honesty too. That's the most important thing. Uh, Dave also says, uh, Josh with a question mark. <laughs> Not really sure. That oh, see uh, anyways, what if you want to be in tout wars or labor and you're an analyst, how does one get into that situation? Does it take years of expertise and like networking or can you have like a breakthrough season where like you were right about everything and then people want you on board? What's the magical secret sauce? Are you aware of any secret sauce? For me, it took, um, like I said, I've been with HQ for 10 years and this is, this will be my third year in labor and tout wars. I was lucky enough to, um, get the invite the same year uh, starting the 2019 season into both leagues. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I would just, there's no quick way to get there. Like it's, it is networking. It is meeting folks. And again, not to like plug conferences, but like meeting people in person and networking and, and, and doing that. Um, you know, Justin Mason tells the story of when he was new to the fantasy industry, when he started fantasy benefits, he got in towers before me. I'm not better, not better, but, uh, <laughs> but he got in towers before me because he, actually just physically went to New York and networked and, and helped out with Tao Wars and just kind of volunteered his time and, and did it. And they had an opening and, you know, Justin was there and he sat in on a draft and drafted for somebody and the rest is history. He got in and that's how he did it. Uh, probably the quickest path to, uh, to do it, just show up and hope somebody not like nothing too bad happens, but they can't make the draft. And, and then you get in for me, it was just, yeah, plugging away at this for eight years and going to first pitch Arizona and meeting a Ron Chandler, a Jeff Erickson, a Todd Zola, like the guys who run tout or Steve Gardner who runs labor. Um, it's, it's a, it's a long grind. And, uh, and fortunately for me, it, it, it has worked out the last couple of years and I'm in there, but, uh, um, it's it's a privilege for sure. As Chris Towers said, uh, we don't like league shaming on this podcast. But do you have a preferred type of league you like to play? Uh, you know, best ball, head to head, roto, fifteen team, two catchers. Is there something you prefer over all others? Uh, yeah, for me, it's this. It's the standard NFBC five by five. Like I love the roto game. Um, however, I did get into fantasy baseball. In a points league, ESPN points league. This was like 99 when it started with my family. So like my brothers and cousins, my dad was in it. We just started super basic and that league still exists today and I love it. Um, so like really, yeah, league shaming. I agree with like Chris. I mean, do what you like and what you, you know, obviously I'm very hardcore, like, and five by five roto is not for everybody. It's it can be confusing. Like I, I had a great day yesterday. My team had a great day yesterday. Why did I go down in the standings? It's like, well, because you didn't get two steals and somebody else. Like I, I understand why people are like, uh, that's not for me and want to do head to head or points. So um whatever floats your boat. I would say too, like as um 
as being in the industry and putting out content, it's tough. Like there's so many different formats out there that, uh, you know, it can be tough to kind of, you know, point your analysis to a certain league type. Exactly. That's one of the big mysteries is what do you prefer? What are you comfortable in? Which one is the elite? I don't know if it's fair to say that any one type of league is the gold standard. I think it's all about preference. That's why yeah. we don't league shame here. I think it's whatever, it's whatever you're most comfortable with. Yeah. A lot has to do with what type of money you're playing for and also what type of action you're looking at. I mean, if you, you're looking to just have fun, talk some shit with your friends, you know, your head-to-head leagues are going to be the best. If you're someone who's a patient person and can wait out for the whole season, it looks like Roto is probably going to be the way to go. Last year was the first time I played Roto in a really, really long time, and I enjoyed it. I did well. But I didn't have like a connection to like talking shit to everybody else in the league, like a head to head. But uh, I, I think I'll play several different types of leagues this year. Uh, Ryan, do you play several different types of leagues, or is it mainly just that roto league that you're normally in? It's mainly roto. It's the points league that I mentioned, and then uh, <laughs> we have a home league here in in Oregon. And I give my I give our commissioner I give him shit for this all the time. It's a seven by seven league with like some crazy categories. Oh yeah, we've done uh, it, Mike. Like, Come on now. <laughs> winning, winning percentage. Um, oh yeah, we did fielding percentage. That we did one fielding percentage. Fielding <laughs> percentage. Like yeah. Um, and I, I just, I just give them crap all the time. And be like, when are we gonna add box as a category? Like every year when we try and produce or box. try and propose rule changes, I try and go to five by five, and everyone just gives me crap. But like Chris, to your point, like. I enjoy that home league because we have buddies and we go to happy hour and, and, and just talk shit to each other and talk fantasy. And we go to our buddy's house every year for the auction and make a whole day of it. Like that's, what's fun. And like, I don't, I mean, compared to what the categories are, like whatever, I'll just, I'll join in and have fun with people and, and just play whatever the rules are. So it's a really good point. Like, you got to just do what you're most comfortable with. Well, Ryan, there's probably years where you help other people win championships just based on your content and you're not getting any shares of their winnings, but you're not doing well in your leagues. <laughs> it is funny. This home league, um, like half the people, they all know I, they all, and they give me crap because I know I'm like in the industry and that sort of thing. <laughs> they have a lot of pressure. <laughs> They'll show up to this auction and like half of them have a baseball forecaster and like my name's on the like the bottom part of the front cover. And they're they always just give me crap for it for being being the expert. Yeah, yeah, that's you. I find your belief system fascinating. I want to know, is there three statistical tools or stats that you put over any other ones in particular? If it's hitting or pitching, you can pick one uh i'll go yeah for hitting so if you really want to like boil this down and make it simple it's hit the ball strikeout percentage right k percent on fan graphs like the most common you can get it's hit the ball in the air if you're a power hitter if you're not a power hitter hit it on the ground so your fly ball rate and then your hard hit rate. And we talked about this like on the SP Streamer podcast with like people who are just new to, to fantasy and, and evaluating players. Like if you can look at those three metrics, um, your ground ball rate or your fly ball rate, either one, strikeout rate and hard hit rate, that's going to tell you, does it, you know, is it is, is a guy have a good hit tool? Does he hit the ball hard? And, and where does he hit it? Like you can glean a lot of information from that. Obviously, there's more advanced stuff out there. Like we were talking about barrels earlier and I prefer barrels. But if you're new and getting into it, um, that's where I would start. And then honestly, like my other advice, and I said this with my process is 
just lean on smart people and take their projection systems that are you know either publicly available or subscribe to the site that they put those out use that as your base and then just outwork everybody you know follow the news follow look at injury risks i mean you don't need to be the smartest mathematician in the world to to parse through manager quotes and um and beat writer articles and things on Twitter. So um, I think if you have a base projection system as your start, and then you kind of look at those contextual factors, you don't need to be the, the smartest person in the room to do that. Um, so that's my my advice for especially for people that are kind of starting new is you know the, the metric is almost more just the news and the context behind all these players. Fantastic. So look at this kind of insight we're getting. It's top notch. Is there a three analytical stats that are not a big deal to you? Not important? Um, yeah. Overhype? Well, there are there are a lot, actually. Uh, <laughs> oh. um, I would say one thing that I, I always, and again, it depends on your format, but if I'm playing 5x5 five five Roto, I hear a lot of talk on how someone upped their walk rate and how that's a good thing. Um Walk rate really does nothing for you in five by five. It takes away from at bats. So like, think about it. if you're, tr if you're rooting for your fantasy team and, and someone takes a walk, how do you feel? You're like, eh, damn, I, I lost my opportunity to get a hit. The only yeah. exception to that is like a Kevin Biggio who might steal second. Like, but that's, that's really, I don't know. So I think, walk rate is vastly, sorry. I, I think, I think walk rate is vastly overblown. Um, for hitters, especially if, and we've shown at HQ, it has zero effect on batting average. Um, it's not correlated at all to batting average. So I think walk rate gets a little bit too much publicity. And then um, on the pitching side, uh, pretty firm believer in like, you know, there are a few guys who can manage contact. There are like your Kyle Hendricks and those sort of guys. I think those are the exception over rather than the rule. And I think the majority of the time, like hard hit rates and barrel rates for pitchers, um, are things that I don't really look at because at HQ we've done a lot of studies on this. It's just not sticky from year to year. So it's a great way to describe, oh, someone gave up, you know, had a really high barrel rate, and that's why they gave up so many home runs last year. That has very little impact on what will happen next year. So a lot of the, like, hard hit rate and barrel stuff that I use all the time for hitters, yeah. I don't actually use for pitchers because it's just not as predictive as it is on the hitting side. If that makes sense. Sure. Wow. See, the, Alex Chamberlain was on the show recently, and he was talking about how yeah. some, some of the tools we use, they don't really give enough credit to the pitchers that limit that hard contact or they're kind of – they don't throw as hard. But the, some reason the analytical tools – and I'm still digging into this because what he said kind of triggered me and made me think, wait, maybe we're missing something. with Because Dallas Keuchel was the example. Yep. Like he's always dismissed. In a sense, I would think it's fair to say he seems to be kind of dismissed, especially by analysts, because he's not a flamethrower. He doesn't have a high K percentage. You know, he's he's just kind of there with a decent whip and a 350 to 370 ERA. Do you think there's any truth to that to people like Hendricks or Keiko that that maybe they get lost in the shuffle with analytical tools, keep building on top of each other one by one? Yeah, I think so. And, and, Al, and Alex is totally right. Like there are guys who do that. I just, I don't know. And like, Hen, you know, Hendrix is a, the great word. Keuchel is obviously. And if you go even back further, I, the example I always like to draw is like Jared Weaver was a guy who like the metrics just hated him every year. And every year he would outpitch 
his peripherals and be good. Like there is something there with um, a subset of pitchers who can limit hard contact. We, I don't think as a as an industry, or at least that I've seen research wise, I don't I don't see the research to say like. I don't think we found the reason for that, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I don't think we have any hard evidence to say this guy is the next Kyle Hendricks unless he's done it like five years in a row. And then he is, but then by that time you're kind of too late. Like everyone else knows about it. Um, It's really hard to distinguish that from somebody who just had a rise in hard hit rate in a season and it just fluctuates wildly. But Alex does have a, I mean, and he's like, I mean, he's, he's a genius baseball mind. Um, he wouldn't say that, but yeah, <laughs> he would not. He would he not. Just, he of as soon as you said that, that's what he did for two hours with his shirt off on our pod. <laughs> loves him, well, loves to make fun of himself. And I've met Alex in person, and he's a great dude multiple times. So, uh, he is, but yeah, yeah, so see, he's on to something there for sure. I just, I don't think, I don't think we found what that is yet. Fair well, enough. it's funny. We, we remember Mike when we asked Van, Van, the Vandalorian, what his, uh, you know, his three cats that he looks at the most. And he's just like, well, yeah, well, what cats am I playing at in my league? I don't want to deep dive too much. Sometimes I need to bring it back and just look at the cats I'm playing. Exactly. Makes Honestly, makes sense. Yeah. We broad brush a lot, I feel like, uh, in this league, uh, which is a reference to Chris Welsh in in this league. Genius name. That name is still genius to me. Well done, guys. I don't know you guys, but hey, I think you're cool. Uh, I got to tell you this. Marco Gonzalez is someone I think about with what you were just talking about, Ryan, what we were just thinking about. Marco Gonzalez is dismissed. Uh, He gives you 200 innings pitched. Uh, He doesn't throw that hard, but he seems to limit the hard contact. And there's something I was listening to Will Milbrooks on the uh, CBS Fantasy Baseball Today pod, and he was talking about how he faced him before. And there's just something about his his cutter and his pitches that just ran up on him suddenly. It didn't seem like nothing, but then he couldn't hit it. And that is what I find really intriguing. And I think that's where player analysis from actual players in our profession can really be a, a real benefit to us. Marco's a great pull. Like that is again, I watch a lot of Mariners games just being up here, but um, yeah, something about him. It, he's able to do that. And the metrics do not like him. He doesn't strike out a bunch of guys, but yeah. Uh, and I think Alex, um, I think Alex put something out the other day, something on like shadow percentage, shadow rate, oh, yeah. how often like your pitch yep. is right on the edge of the strike zone. And like, yeah, he was <laughs> high up there. So maybe that's like the next frontier. I don't know. A- Alex will find it, whatever it is. Yeah, I I just get a little overwhelmed, I guess, when Eno Saris has his seam shift wake now that he was posting about the oh, other day. And I saw now the shadow. It's there's just more stuff to take in, and I, it's for the better because I believe one thousand percent in progress. I do. I believe whatever's best for the progression and better understanding of the game. No argument there. I'd like to know you. Now we covered that. I will skip that. Uh, is there a value of spin rates in fantasy baseball analysis for you? Honestly, I, and this is where I, this is honesty. I, I don't know. Um, I, Thank, I have you. Seen, Thank you for being honest. I mean, I have seen, I have seen things where say like certain pitches have the lowest spin rates, like for fastballs that are most effective. And then obviously for breaking balls and, and we've heard, we've heard this in the, um, in the news, like the Garrett Cole and the tar and the people trying to trying to get get some grip and, and then increase their spin rate on their breaking balls. Like, obviously, that's probably a good thing to a point where you can control it um, yeah. is the other Trevor thing. Bauer. 
You're Trevor out there. Maher, of course. So, so no, I, I don't have enough. I, I, I don't know, to be honest. Like, I, I don't want to just Thank say you. something that I haven't backed up with data. So I, I, I personally don't use spin rates just because I don't know how to use them. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's all we can ask for. Well done, sir. Thank you for your honesty. We appreciate that. Um, anything else? Uh, I think we've pretty much covered what I want to cover. Uh, there, you know, the statistical categories. Uh, you know, what's the best format? Uh, ADP is a useful tool for you, or is it just a guideline for you? You don't really care about that much, or is it just like, all right, I know where everybody's looking at, and then I can do my own thing. Yeah, I, I care about it a lot. I think it's it's easy oh. to say don't don't look at ADP, um, but you should. Um, Ron Chandler actually put this in his in his intro to the forecaster. I forget, maybe two, three years ago. Think of like think of ADP as like a menu at a restaurant. You've got, you know, your entrees and and you know, entrees are the players and then what their price is. So do I want to pay a $40 filet mignon or am I good with like $220 prime rib kind of a deal? I think his I think his parallel was seafood and he did it with trout somehow. I don't know. He's an amazing writer. So like it was really good. Uh, but I think of it like that. I just think of it as I, tr- I try not to. And it's easy to say this. To, it, you try it to not influence how you value players. It's easy mm-hmm. to say that, but it's very hard to mm-hmm. look at an ADP all off season and still go against that. Um, so that's tough. However, I mean, I use it as the price tag for a player. And so... Um, I think it's really important to track ADP, track where players are going and track it over time. Like I'm a huge proponent of the NFBC, not just the games, but like the company itself, the guys behind it are fantastic. Their ADP tool is just amazing in that you can filter it by your league format. So we were talking about different league formats, like there's best ball and there's draft champions. Actually, one of my bloom boards was about this. Like if you're looking at ADP and you're looking at closer ADP, in best ball, closers aren't being drafted like at all in in, um, in the NFBC. So if you just look at their general ADP, it's way off from where it would be in uh, in standard roto. So the NFBC has you can filter it by your league format and then also by date range. So like you were saying, um, like with like the I think we're using January. You're using January first as your cutoff. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah, I have that bookmarked. I download it and it's a ADP is a huge part of my, my process. It's important to know where these guys are going and how much they cost. I mean, you could filter dynasty in on NFBC and that's something very, very rare. And a lot of more people are playing dynasty now, and it's really hard to sift through enough information to figure out how you're going to rank guys in a dynasty. So that's something I've been looking at lately is NFBC's dynasty uh, rankings. I did not even know that. That's interesting. I'll have to check that out. Last question on this segment. Is there one classic old school stat that you still think is very relevant? Like ERA, WHIP, uh, the simpleton categories now. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if WHIP qualifies, but yeah, WHIP. Uh, I'll go. Yeah, I guess WHIP wouldn't qualify. You're right. I'll go. I'll go legit old school and do run scored. Hey, it's something right. that like. Nobody, and we were talking about this with the Blue Jays lineup with like Semyon, like run score. Nobody cares about run scored. Nobody talks about run scored in in fantasy. Like it's it's really hard to project. Um, but it has it's a category, just like home runs. We talk yeah. about home runs, you know, fifty times more than we talked about 
run scored. Um, and so kind of the, the bigger takeaway to that with run scored is just a lot of that is team dependent where you're hitting in the lineup. And it goes back to what I was saying before process wise, like put in that work for those kind of soft contextual factors where somebody hitting in a lineup, um, how strong is that lineup? Those are the little kind of edges. I think you can, you can grab by focusing on that kind of stuff. So I'll go runs for pitchers and, and on the, or for hitters on the pitcher side, no one really talks about uh, whip. And so that is a good one, even though it's not totally old school. Um, whip is something going back to like a Marco Gonzalez who literally walks nobody. He's going to have a great whip no matter what. And um, we always focus on strikeouts and ERA and we, uh, we don't talk about whip very much. Yes, indeedy. There it is. Well done. Thank you so much for sharing some of your insights and your process. That means a lot to us. means a lot to me, anyways, to learn and continue to grow. And I know Deary appreciates it. How about we do this on the Hey, It's Rigo Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Two L's, two Z's on Twitter. Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. We welcome your emails, and we prefer that you give them to us. Thank you so much. You talk. Give me two. All right. It's time for Shine or Ride the Pine segment. Here we go. Shine or Ride the Pine. I'm going to give you a projection on a player. You're either going to say Shine or Ride the Pine. Shine, you're going to agree with it, and it's going to go at least to that number or over. Ride the Pine. Under. Make sense? Makes sense. Simple. All right. Awesome. Today, we're using Steve Paolo's stomper projections. I love Steve Paolo. He's an underrated analyst, and he really knows, like, math and engineering and computer science much more than I do. Uh, he's a very, very smart dude, so I love to pump Steve's projections when we can. All right, first off, Garrett Cole, 201 innings pitched. I'll go... Hmm, ride the pine. Mm. Because... You think he gets close? I, I think ride the pine because it's out of his control, and this is a whole other... Can of worms, I don't think we're getting, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think we're getting a full 162 game season. So, Uh-oh! Oh, there it is. So I think that's why. I think he'll get like 25 starts and approach 200. It's not Garrett Cole's fart, uh, fault. Brody <laughs> <laughs> and slip. Uh, but I'll, yeah, I'll go the under on 200. I don't think anyone in baseball is getting 200 this year. Not to be too much of a downer. I think we'll I think we'll get a, a pretty good season, and I, I'd, I'd be pleasantly surprised and happy to be wrong if we got 162. Yeah, well, you know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. That's right, it is. Uh, Juan Soto bet 315 or better. Cool. I'll go ride the pine. If anyone can do it, Juan Soto's the guy. 315 is damn hard uh, in, in in this state of the game. So um, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go ride the pine. At HQ, we're projecting 297. So, Ooh, okay. Well, Steve is always a little more aggressive, and he believes in what he does. So some of these might be a little more advanced, or not advanced, just more higher in the content numbers than other projection systems. It's definitely a more aggressive and liberal system. Xander Bogarts, nine steals or more. Shine. I'll go, I'll go more. I'll go more for Xander. I really like, I think Xander's set going into the third round. Um, stable guy, five categories, going to play every day. Like, yeah, I think he'll run enough. He's still young enough to get there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go over. I mean, he was, 
he was eight for eight in stolen base attempts last season. And that's a big thing for me. Like if you are successful on the base pass, chances are your team's going to let you keep running. So um, yeah, I'll take you over on that. Thank you. I've been looking at Xander recently. I know all the elite shortstops are higher up there. Maybe Trey Turner is the only guy. Maybe Story could steal more. But otherwise, I think Xander could return the same value of Lindor and some of those other players at the top of Bichette, even if Bichette doesn't run as much um, and and hit 300. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's he's hit he hit 300 last year, 309 in 2019, 288 the year before. So, I mean, if you're talking like we were just talking about Soto, if you're talking about batting average floor like Xander's is really high. Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that because they also have a decent to maybe a solid lineup. Their pitching's awful, but the lineup is still not bad. Not bad at all, really. I think Steel is absolutely doable for Xander. Woohoo! Yeah. I like to hear that. Okay. Uh, continuing forward, how about this? A 3.50 ERA for Trevor Bauer. Are you going to go under that? So under. 350 or less is Shine. 350 or above, ride the pond. I'll go Shine. I think he'll, I think he'll beat 350. Um, by how much? I don't know. I, I probably, I'd probably go like 325 for him. Bauer was so lucky last year with the <laughs> strand rate, the left on base rate, whatever you call it, 90%. 90%. Nobody does that. So um, we had, so HQ, we have our own like ERA indicator and Bauer was 322 last year with a 173 ERA. So yeah, I, I'm comfortable like Mid low threes ERA. I, I and and given Bauer's draft price going like pretty much the back end wheel, like like sixteenth overall, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not I'm not gonna have Trevor Bauer on my squads this year. Me neither. And I loved him last year. I was all in on him last year, but now I'm out because everything changes. Yeah, the value changes, and I'm I'm not gonna pay the price. Plus, he did get lucky a bit too. Max Muncy, 363 OBP or higher? Uh, I'll go higher. I think the batting average was a was a fluke last year. The Babbitt was super low for Muncy, and he yeah he's kind of a he's a really good OBP guy. So I'll 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 take the over on that. Again, great lineup, multi position eligibility with the power. Like there's there's a lot to like with Muncy on as a rebound candidate. Um, a lot of it's priced in, but but uh, yeah, I'll take the over on that. Nick Anderson of the Tampa Bay Rays, 15 saves or more. Seems low. Seems low, but Tampa really uses <laughs> guys and gives the middle finger to every fantasy owner out there. So um, I'll go below 15 saves. I just, you know, he would have to stay healthy both the full season, which he could do, um, and be a semi-regular closer. I just think Tampa mixes and matches so much that he might flirt with 15 and give you good ratios, which is which is great. But uh, I'll go I'll go under. If you, you got Nick Anderson, you got to hope you're in a save slash holds league. Yeah, yeah, and he's a lot more valuable in that format for sure. Uh, here's a guy that I keep avoiding because I just I'm concerned about him. I don't know what to expect from him, and it's. It's a constant battle. Tommy Pham, 69 runs scored or more. I'll go, I'll, I'll bet that he stays healthy and go over. If he if he stays healthy in that lineup, he's going to, I think, destroy that. <laughs> also, the chance where he plays like 50 games and gets like 20 runs scored. So, uh, Pham is tough. But I'll, I'll take the over. I'll, I'll be optimistic and... Um, 
know, not to make light of his stabbing, but to to assume the stab wound is healed and we're good to go in uh, in April. Life on the edge at the strip club with Tommy Fan. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up sometimes, man. Sure can. There's we always just... one story a year like this. Of course oh, yeah. there was. There was was it Reese McGuire was masturbating in his truck last year. Uh, well, you know, it's just weird stuff. Framber Valdez, one point two one whip. Alright, yeah, so I've kinda got not in trouble with this, but I've 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 been a little bit outspoken with some tweets on Fram Framber Valdez. I'm taking the over on a one twenty whip. Um as I try and dig up the tweet. Basically, Framber Valdez, a lot of people are, and I and I will say, like, I really like the stri- the combination of Framber's uh, strikeout rate and ground ball rate is elite. Um, but I'm not convinced he's passed his control issues. So here it is. So from so Framber Valdez last year had a 5.5% walk rate. That's really good. And from 2017 and 2018, that number was 9.6%. Not good. 2019, he had a 12% walk rate. And then even yeah. in the postseason, which like is 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 not a not in not a non-consequential amount of innings compared to a 60 game season, mm. he had 11% walk rate. So he kind of snapped back to who he was. So I just I, I again love the love the the strikeouts and ground balls, but I think Framber Valdez, I, I still have questions about his control issues. And he has to kind of match what he did last year with the walk rate to beat a 120 whip. And I'm not convinced um, that he's done that. Okay, there it is. Let's see, that is interesting because Michael Simeone loves him some Framber Valdez. And he knows pitching pretty well. You're a smart guy. Two smart people. What do I do? Victor Robles, 18 steals or more? I'll go more. Yeah, I'll go more. that, That doesn't, you know... Say I'm a big Robles guy in other aspects, but I'll no. go more. Uh, Zach Wheeler, uh, 4.05 ERA or less. I don't think that number's far off, really. I don't. Yeah, somebody I mean, that's, think that's high. I, that's, that's what he does. That's what he does. Um, yeah. <laughs> without like without. I guess I'll take the over just because but it's right around four of it's I, i'd expect right around a four and that's i mean that's the value proposition with wheeler is he's not going to get you like crazy strikeouts crazy ratios but he is going to give you innings and um that that has value so i'll go i'll go over but not by much yeah i was going to ask you more innings related ones but since we might have uncertainty on innings i'm going to give you things that we can maybe Rate stats, you know, things that we could lock in a little bit more. Uh, Hunter Dozier. Hunter Dozier is a player I, I like. I really like Hunter Dozier. <sighs> 329 OBP. I'll go I'll go over. I like the walk rate enough that that uh, I'll go over there. A 15% walk rate last year, 9% the year before. I think even with some contact issues, he'll get he'll get over that OBP. So I'll go over. <laughs> All right. See, that's what I like to hear. I think Dozier is really underrated this year, and he's a good value for first base slash outfield. Multiple eligibility. Just and saying. Field from bags has some power coming off yeah. that OK season. So, yeah, I, I like that too. He should be a guy that, um, you know, like Matt Williams loves, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts with steals. That's the kind of guy you would fill a roster with to get a few steals here and there. Yeah. Justin Upton. Boy, yeah, Justin Upton, we've seen better days. But, yeah. you know, we're hoping for some improvement and this is 26 home runs 26 home runs this year can we see that from justin upton 
Unfortunately, I don't think so. I, I think given his age and like his history, his history of knee problems, like I, I think more often than not, this type of career path starts to unravel pretty quickly, which mm. makes me feel kind of old because I was living in Arizona <laughs> when Upton had like his MVP season in 2000, I think 11, MVP type season um, when Arizona was really good and he was like young back then. Yeah, and, I was like, oh, wait, wasn't it? I mean, not the MVP yeah, season, might, but he was yeah, already thinking him. Dude, 2011 was that big year, 31 home runs, 105 uh, runs, 88 RBI, had a really nice year after that, and it's kind of gone down a little bit since then. He's now 33. Former yeah. Tiger. Former oh, yeah, Tiger. That That's right. Got, 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 his, got his money from Detroit. But uh, no, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go the under. I, just, I don't, I don't, <sighs> chronic knee issues at that age, like it starts to go south pretty quick. We've been handing out retirement funds here in Detroit for years. Jordan Zimmerman, Miguel Cabrera. We are just taking care of everybody. <laughs> That's brutal. Here it is. Guy we talked about earlier, Dylan Moore. Can he? <laughs> this is harsh. A 289 OBP. Um, I'll go over, but barely. Just because of the. Oh. oh. Barely. Okay. okay. How about That's this? One, one. I like that. I want to go one more on him. Dylan Moore. 22 steals. Under. I'm thinking 15 to 20. A little hot. A little hot. Yeah. A little spicy. Uh, and then here's the one final guy. Craig Kimbrell. Can we expect 31 saves from him this year? Oh, that's a lot. I was hoping you'd go a little bit. A little bit. uh a little bit lower. 31, I'm going to take the under, so I'll have him ride the pine for that. However, I'm actually buying Craig Kimbrell this year, as weird as that sounds, like just as kind of a spec right. um, play. So like Craig Kimbrell last year, and everyone kind of crapped on him. He gave up seven runs in his first five appearances last year. He then had 11 out of 12 scoreless outings after that. So he was a guy who like really sucked at the beginning of the year. It was highly publicized. Everyone was on him, kind of lost the role, but then really settled down and, and was actually a pretty good pitcher for most of 2020. Um, it's just the, the damage was so bad at the beginning of the year that his ERA was jacked up all season long. So I think Kimball's going to get a, a, a pretty long look as, as a closer. And if he pitches like he did, down the stretch in 2020 again with relievers like the samples are just my you know tiny but um given the state of the closer pool like he's somebody with a reasonable price who i would i would take a bet i can't can't expect more than 30 saves but but uh i I, i'm taking a stab on him and there it is shining around the pine in the books from the great ryan bloomfield he said it it must be true Uh, no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, finally, uh, we had some quick tweets and emails. Um, we had one here. Will there be somebody that you could consider as this year's Devin Williams? Ooh. Is there a reliever lurking who could break out? Yeah, I mean, yes, and that's the problem. So hear me out on this. He doesn't like, want to give up the information. No, it's uh, not that. I, just, I don't know who it is, and that's the problem <laughs> with relievers. Like, it's such a volatile thing. Um, every year you get these guys who not to say Devin Williams will be like a flash in the pan and that change up is just absurd, but there are, there are guys who have just incredible relief seasons one year and then the next year they're useless, um, in terms of fantasy. So, um, who, yes, there will be another Devin Williams who it is. I, 
I have no idea. <laughs> this one's from Rob, uh, Rob DPHR. He wants to know how much for a course on SQL. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rob's a good dude. So Rob, I'll, I'll give a discount. I'll, I'll go over some slides with him. Uh, maybe after the show, um, SQL is so for, for, for listeners that don't know, it's basically a database and that's how I, that's what I use to, um, to do all these bloom boards and all these, this analysis. It has actually, actually when I first started not to get too far off, but first started my day job career, someone told me like, if you want a stable career and I'm in, I'm in it, um, application development. Um, if you want a stable career with, with a skill that's in demand, learn SQL, get really good at it and you'll be fine. And I followed that advice. And so still having a pretty holding down a decent day job, but also more importantly, my fantasy <laughs> analysis has gone way up. So, um, so yeah, I mean, to answer Rob's question, maybe I should put together a class. There actually is a sequel for fantasy baseball class um, by, if you Google Andy Andres, he's a teacher at, in the Northeast. I always get it right. Yeah. Boston University. I know um, that name. Yeah. Yep. He did a He did an online class about. He's early in on analytics and like this he, stuff, right? Yeah. I he? mean, he teaches fan. He teaches fantasy baseball as a college. Yeah. Class. Yeah. Yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. I looked him up um, a while ago. And so, yes, yeah, uh, genius, a really smart mind. He he did an online class. Uh, I forget what it's called now. I think it's like Sabermetrics 101, something like that. Seriously. Um, Google it. <laughs> Search Andy Andres baseball class. Um, and he goes through and it's kind of how I learned a like, very simple way to learn some of these, these advanced things. So, um, if you're interested in that, Andy is a by far better teacher than I am. Awesome. All right. Well, there it is. This is the show. We've done it. Ryan Bloomfield joined us. We talked baseball. We talked everything. We talked about the bills. We talked about Virginia tech. I think we covered the, the lexicon. We want to thank you so much for coming on. This is the Plaza Podcast. Two L's, two Z's on Twitter. Plaza Podcast at ProtonMail.com. If you have email, questions, tweets, we thank you so much for listening. Ryan, tell people where they can find you and what they can look for from you in the coming month or two here as we head into the regular season, whenever that will be. For sure. You can find me, easiest way to find me on Twitter at RyanBHQ. And what you can expect from me is respectful discourse on social media which is a uh, uh you know which is something these days and also i think pretty fun analysis with bloom boards so keep an eye out for that I, I like i said i try and put those out every weekday as i can and uh just generate some conversation and talk baseball with me it's uh it's a lot of fun and thanks for having me on guys this is like the quickest two hours i've had in a long time <laughs> it's, it's amazing how we get two yeah. hours every time and it feels like 42 minutes exactly, yeah, I know. exactly. That's not bad. So, uh, thanks ryan we appreciate yeah, really that, appreciate man. it glad i could be your kind of guinea pig for the for going live and yeah yeah that works but but happy to come on again at some point uh, down the road all right thank you ryan we really appreciate it for me and chris deary c deary 1999 on twitter I'm at MJ Govier. Applause podcast, ProtonMail.com. Thanks so much. We will talk to you later. Godspeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done.